Let's pray. Father, who is sufficient for these things? Lord, we are powerless in and of ourselves to bear spiritual fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit that we want to see emerge in our lives. Lord, even faith in your word is a gift, so I pray that you would do multiple levels of miracles this morning. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Father, I pray that you would incline our hearts to fear your name this morning. I ask that you would unite our hearts together to literally get us on the same page as a church. And would you satisfy us this morning, Lord, with Mark 117. There is good, good pasture for us as your flock. But you've got to come, Lord, and Break the bread of life as it comes to us. So, Holy Spirit, would you do the convicting and empowering and illuminating and strengthening work that only you can do. And we will thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Sunday is a significant one in the life of our church. I've been feeling it all week, and I feel it in my bones this morning. Now, some of that may have to do with a few of the obvious elements that conspire together at the same time. Today, uh, Matt and Ashley Hendrickson are now family, which is something that we've been looking forward to for months. Uh, The Stouts are back for the next season, the next three months. Uh, It's a communion Sunday that we'll have an opportunity to take of the bread and the cup together. Summer's finally here, almost right? These are, these are good things. We have a number of things for which to be grateful for as a congregation. There's, there's no doubt. But when I say that I feel that this is a significant Sunday in the life of our church, I'm, I'm pressing below that, and I'm, I'm actually pressing above that. I'm thinking to the scripture that is above the coffee bar in Fellowship Hall. Mark 1, 17. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Those 11 words not only provide the sermon text for today's subject matter, but they also really furnish the theme for the heart of the entire sermon series for the summer. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And if you haven't opened your Bible to that place in the Scriptures, I'll give you an opportunity right now. Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. Gospel of Mark chapter 1 verse 17. If you wanted to use one of the red Bibles in the seats, the text is on page 836, 836 in the Red Bibles, Mark 117. The series that begins today is entitled, Spreading the Fragrance of the Knowledge of Him, a Biblical Study of Missions and Evangelism. There are copies of the preaching calendar that are out in Fellowship Hall, if you haven't gotten one, judging by how small the stack got last week. I'm grateful that I think they are going out into the congregation, but if you haven't gotten a calendar for the summer, please get one. Pray for this series. Uh, Pray for Seth. Pray for Guy. Pray for me as we open the Word. Over this next season, we're going to walk through the Bible together to learn from the ground up what it means to fulfill our mission statement, to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
The rest of the month of June and part of July will be given over to the topic of global missions. You hear in that subtitle for the sermon series really two different emphases, missions and evangelism. And they are not the same thing. To completely conflate the two, missions and evangelism, together is to make a calculation that is dangerous and perhaps deadly to the completion of the Great Commission. As much as we might want to, it's unwise to collapse missions and evangelism into the same definition. So don't conflate these, but on the other hand, don't refuse to relate these. These are related. Missions and evangelism feed off of one another. These are profoundly connected. So what's the difference and what's the similarity between missions and evangelism? Missions is the task of making disciples of Jesus Christ by crossing over a culture into a group of people that would otherwise have no access to the good news of Christ. I'll say that again. This comes very close to the definition that David Mathis gave us, Missions Weekend, a couple of months back. Missions is the task of making disciples of Jesus by crossing a culture into a group of people who would otherwise have no access to the good news of Jesus. I gave the example about a month ago of Tetovo, Macedonia, a city 45 minutes from the capital of Skopje, and they are an unreached people. 80,000 ethnic Albanians, the vast majority of them Muslim, and not one ethnic Albanian Christian among them. Not one church, not one believer. That's missions. Now, you might think that evangelism is difficult, but it is a whole lot simpler than that. Evangelism is much simpler. Evangelism is the ongoing work of the established church to make the gospel of Jesus known among a group of people who already have access to it. There's two issues there. It's the ongoing work of an established church to make the good news of Jesus known among those who already have access to it. An example here would be our own region, the West Tonka area. Our evangelism does not cross a culture. And as different as the crowd at True Value Hardware and Fletcher's on the lake are, they're not two different cultures. They're not. And if you've been overseas, you would be ashamed to call them two different cultures. We speak the same language. We have the same customs. It is far simpler. It's also far more limited for us. West Tonka is home to nearly 25,000 residents. Scattered across these 25,000 are five evangelical Protestant churches, five of them, one Roman Catholic church, four mainline Protestant churches. That is a lot of access to Jesus for 25,000 people. So what's the difference between making disciples of Jesus in Tetovo as opposed to West Tonka? One word, really, access. Access to Jesus is the difference. That's the difference, but what's the connection? How are missions and evangelism related? How is the first half of the sermon series this summer going to feed the second half? Well, from our perspective, as we minister among a group of people who already have access to the gospel, we've got to remember that we can only export globally what we already have locally. 
Another way to say it is, what you grow in your fields is what you load on the trucks. You serve what's in your cupboard. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of the resources of a local church, so go the missionaries. Which brings us to today's big idea. This morning we're going to take a page from the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, which we don't do very often. He once wrote this, the need is not so much to get to the people as to come from Christ. Then one automatically gets to the people. That's a spectacular truth. That will set you free as you think about missions and evangelism. This gets into your bloodstream. And Karl Barth didn't get everything right, but he got this right. The need is not so much to get to the people, but as to come from Christ. Then you automatically get to the people. And if you doubt the veracity of that statement, I will invite you to look again, maybe for the first time, at Jesus' words in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This text, I think, falls into two parts. So we have two points this morning. Here's the first one. If you desire to help others meet Jesus, then, number one, trust his stunning promise to you. If you desire to invite others to meet Jesus, to help them meet Jesus, then trust his stunning promise to you. We're going to work our way backwards through verse 17 so that we can get the goal in view and then see the means to this goal. You could do it the other way, but I think for preachability, I'm going to drive us in reverse here. So here's the goal. Notice it's not just a goal for us, it's a promise to us. Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. Mark's gospel is the only one that puts it in this particular phrasing. It's a very forceful way that Jesus is talking in verse 17. I will make you become fishers of men. Can you imagine that? You fishing for people. You catching men and women and boys and girls for the kingdom of Christ. You, not the person sitting next to you. You catching your neighbors and your colleagues, your classmates, friends, even family members. Jesus is not expressing a possibility here. This is not the language of potential or likelihood. He's not, he's not giving a prospect in verse 17. He's not offering odds or chances. Listen to him again. I will make you become fishers of men. This is the language of assurance. This is a guarantee. It's a promise to you from Jesus. I will make you become fishers of men. Now, we live in a city, many of us live in the city, that boasts over 17 miles of lakeshore, don't we? If take my word, it's on the website, cityofmountain.org, you can find that out. 
When Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men, immediately we come by this naturally. Our ears perk up, and they should. Jesus is speaking our language. He's addressing us on our home court. And yet here's where we need to go slow in our understanding of this kind of fishing. Not because we don't know fishing, but because we do. And if we graft our understanding of fishing over onto Jesus, we're going to miss something in the nature of the way that he's talking here. 2,000 years ago, in the ancient Near East, fishing looked slightly different. Although sometimes you did see a line and a lure uh, in Jesus' day and in Scripture, I found at least one, one reference to it. When Jesus gets the copper coin out of the fish's mouth, it says he puts in a line and a hook and draws out the fish. That was rare. The most common way for fishermen to earn a living was to cast a huge net with weights and then drag it through the water and then pull the catch that way. It was called a drag net. Jesus describes it in his parable of the net in Matthew 13, 47. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and it gathered fish of every kind. I think about our church that way. We are a strange catch of fish, aren't we? We're so different from each other in some ways. The net is pulling us together. Gathering fish of every kind. This is what happens when you fish with a net as opposed to a rod and reel. When you're fishing with a rod and reel and you're not catching the fish that you want, what do you typically do? You change your bait. It's far different with a dragnet. The gospel of the kingdom, the message of Jesus, is the net. And some fish are swimming along and they glide right into it. Others see the net coming and swim for their lives. But it's the same net. Some of you heard the speech that Matt Hendrickson's best man, David Torres, gave at their wedding reception on Friday night. Preaching Christ. I have never heard a best, best man speech like that. It was a net, and it was going across the Lafayette Club like this. And some of us were swimming right into it, and other folks were moving away. That's exactly what it was. It's preaching the gospel. It's very, very powerful. In the text read for us just moments ago, Jenny read for us, Luke 5, 4, Jesus told Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is terribly helpful as we think about the work of evangelism. It brings out a few different aspects to how evangelism works and doesn't work. Jesus is promising that he will make us become fishers of men, but we need to see what he's promising. As I think about Luke 5, Luke chapter 5, and I think about Mark chapter 1, I can think of at least four different things that he's promising about the nature of evangelism here. Uh, The first is this, that this will be difficult labor. Being a fisher of men is hard work. Remember what Peter said in Luke 5, 5? Master, we toiled all night. They know what they're doing, and they didn't catch anything. Evangelism's hard. Anyone who tells you it's easy hasn't done much evangelism. It's hard. Secondly, by comparing evangelism to this sort of fishing, Jesus is also promising that we will often pull our nets up and have little or nothing to show for it. Happened all the time to fishermen in the ancient Near East. Remember, Peter again said to Jesus, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Evangelism, doing evangelism can often feel like you're just spinning your wheels. The results can be so 
modest. Third, by comparing evangelism to this sort of fishing, Jesus is saying that we're simply going to have to take him at our word, at his word, and let our nets down anyway. Take him at his word, let your net down anyway. Peter's faithfulness here is legendary. Luke 5, 5. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Faith. Peter doesn't change his method. And neither should we change our message if we're not seeing the results that we like. Finally, by comparing evangelism to this sort of fishing, Jesus is saying that we can count on him to put plenty of fish in our net. Yes, we can. Luke 5, 6, and 7. And when they had let their nets down at his word, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boats, and so that they began to sink. Wouldn't that be a great problem? We need this reminder very, very desperately as a church. Yes, evangelism is hard work. Yes, frequently our results are pathetic. And yes, we do simply need to be faithful and lower the nets down anyway. Yes to all of those things. But do you know what else? That net, that message of the gospel is very, very powerful. It has not lost its power over 2,000 years' time. And the promise of Jesus in Mark 1.17 is that he will make us become fishers of men. Jesus is building his church. He is mighty to save. The book of Romans says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You have to take a little bit of a longer view, but think of the people simply in our church who have come to either be baptized or come to a saving assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ just in the last five years. You might be surprised. Seth Brickley, Guy Runkle, Mike Colstock, Anna and Leah Penalt, Jeff Anderson, Matt and Ashley Hendrickson, and perhaps others that we don't know about. And that's just here in Mound. When you add to it the harvest that we're seeing in Macedonia, you heard some of the names. Mihailo, Jole, Slavko, Bobi, Philippe, and perhaps others. The gospel is the power of God. The message of Jesus changes lives. It changes eternities. And if you desire to help others meet Jesus, then trust his stunning promise to you. He will do the heavy lifting. I will make you fishers of men. Well, that just leaves us one question. How? How do you become a fisher of men? Here's the second point. If you desire to help others meet Jesus, then obey his encouraging condition for you. You desire to help others meet Jesus, then obey his encouraging condition for you. We have to see in verse 17 that this promise is not unconditional. We love to think of promises of God as unconditional. Many of them are built around conditions. And there's a clause, there's a precondition to the promise. And here's where we start to think ourselves see, I, I knew it. 
I knew there was a catch. This sounded way too good to be true. What am I going to have to do? What kind of weird, strange, painful transformation am I going to have to undergo in order to fish for people? And I want to tell you on the authority of verse 17, it's not like that. This is so encouraging. You ready for the condition? Look at verse 17 and listen carefully. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. You say, yes, that's what I want. You have no idea how much I want to make an impact on people's lives for the kingdom. I would love people to meet Christ through my life. And there's the terms of the promise. It's right before you. It's two words. Follow me. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This isn't just a mission statement. This is actually a philosophy of ministry that Jesus is giving us here in verse 17. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Notice This is the only condition for man fishing. That's it. So if I'm not fishing for men, what conclusion can you draw about my life from verse 17? I'm not following Jesus. It's that devastating, and it's that beautiful. If you're not fishing for people, all you have to do is follow Jesus. So much of our dysfunction relating to evangelism has to do with our fear of sharing the gospel. It's related to our anxiety about lack of connections with lost people. Oftentimes, it's the shame that accompanies the reality that we've known certain lost people for years, and we've never so much as just shared a whiff about Jesus with them. I recognize that. We have no idea where to start. Here's where Jesus commands us to start. Follow me. Follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. You don't have to make yourself become a fisher of men. That's not your problem if you're leaning on the promise. I I have two applications in closing for us. One is for believers and one is for those who think they are believers. I'll address the second group first. If you're with us today and you love hearing what you're hearing, you love this idea of people fishing, I simply want to caution you to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. See if you've been caught. See if you're in the net. I actually know people who have their stories of their testimony is that they got saved at an evangelism training seminar. I've met them. You go to be trained to share the gospel, and you hear the gospel, and you get saved. It happens. So are you in the net? Are you in the boat? If somebody followed you, would they make their way to Jesus? Who you follow is who they follow when they follow you. Does that make sense? So who are you following? And if you haven't done so, Turn from your sin today. Put your faith in Jesus today, this great captain of ours. Put your faith in the crucified and risen Christ. 
for those of you who profess faith in Christ and want to lean into this promise, uh, I just have a question for us. We highlighted this maybe a couple of years ago when we were in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. What's the difference between the Apostle Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Apostle Peter in the courtyard of the high priest? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14, verse 47, Jesus, uh, Peter, is so close to the Lord that he takes out a sword and hacks off the ear of the servant who was trying to uh, accost his master. Peter doesn't even think twice about it. He is all kinds of bold. He's the wrong kind of bold. But he's, he's ready to do anything for the mission. And not seven verses later, in chapter 14, verse 54, after Jesus is taken away from the disciples, as he heads into the courtyard of the high priest, it says that Peter followed after him at a distance. And you know what happened? The distance created the denial. The closer Peter was to Jesus, the more willing he was to do anything for him. Even the wrong thing. (laughs) But it was the distance that created the denial. If you're not fishing for men, you have to ask the question, are you following Jesus? Because Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Be encouraged that the, the point really is not so much to get to the people, but as to come from Christ. When you come from Christ, you will automatically get to the people. What you grow in your fields is what you load on the trucks. You serve what's in your cupboard. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So dive into the Word of God this summer. If you're not sure where you might go in the Bible, join us on the website. We're in the book of Job right now. And the pastor's prayer blog is moving through the Psalms this summer. Spend time in the Scriptures. Fill yourself with God's Word. Pray for lost people. Can I challenge you to get a list of five people? I have these little cards. We didn't get them in the bulletin. Next week we will. List of five Think of five people who don't know Jesus in your life that are just in the normal tread of your everyday that you can be praying for. Ask God to draw them to Christ. Pray for them by name. Ask that God would open doors for you to care for them in a tangible way. That God would open doors for a verbal witness with them. Pray for five people. Make it a goal to reach one person by the end of this year. That's not a bar that's impossible. I know years ago, Pastor George Thompson used to use the phrase, each one reach one. That is a very healthy goal for a church. Could every family in our church, every household in our church, commit to doing everything in your power through the strength that he supplies to draw people into the net? Read a good book on missions and evangelism this summer. If you need to get stirred up for that on the back side of the preaching calendar, there is a list of about a baker's dozen of my favorite books on missions and evangelism. Spend time this season adoring and enjoying Jesus. I guarantee you, out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth will speak. Well, if you desire to help others meet Jesus, then trust his stunning 
promise to you and obey his encouraging command to you. Jesus is saying to our church today, follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I love it. The love that you, you give through the words of your son in Mark 1.17, a stone-cold promise. The promises of God are, are irrevocable, but many of them do rest on conditions. But Lord, the, the condition isn't to become somebody we're not. The condition is to follow Jesus as we are, and you will make us become someone maybe we haven't been. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do mighty transforming work in our hearts. I pray that we would be captured by this vision. What greater place to be than in the Lake Minnetonka area with this vision, to become fishers of men. Make it a reality, Lord. Draw us into fellowship with you. Fill us with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.